Life is pain, your highness. If anyone tells you otherwise, they're selling something. (laughs) Remember that line from Princess Bride? Well, let's talk about a particular kind of pain today. Fear. And this may be one of those pause-worthy podcasts for you. (laughs) Throughout this podcast, there may be a few moments in time where you want to hit the pause button and think about what I just suggested and then hit the play button again. So this might take you a couple of hours to get through this 25-minute or 30-minute podcast. That's okay. This is important stuff. Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Just toasting the foot of this cigar. Today's cigar is one of my favorites. This one is, of course, from the Romeo and Julieta factory. These folks have been making cigars since back in the Cuban days. This is one, this one is a Churchill size, which means it's about seven inches long and about 50 ring gauge. 50 ring gauge is probably about, oh, about as big around as my little finger, maybe. About that big around. It's seven inches long. And it is an extremely good cigar. It has a Cuban background. They, of course, they started in Cuba way back in the day. And then when all that went down with Fidel and company, uh, the family left Cuba, took Cuban seed with them, and has been making really good cigars ever since. And I must say, they've gotten so good at it over the generation that, that now their cigars are probably better than they were back in the day. Uh, when they came from Cuba. And I've had Cuban cigars, and they're they're good, but I really tend to like Nicaraguan cigars and Dominican cigars better than Cuban cigars. So here's one of them. The 1875 by Romeo and Julieta in the Churchill size. Just picture Winston Churchill with chomping on that cigar, and that is the size of cigar that I've got right in front of me here. This is a, oh, It has an Indonesian wrapper and a Dominican binder and then long filler as well, so it's it's got a different taste. Dominican tobacco tastes a little bit different than, uh, say, Nicaraguan tobacco does, certainly different than tobacco that comes from Brazil or other parts of the world. It's really p- quite pleasant tasting. It's very, very balanced, and um, it doesn't radically change its taste all the way through the cigar and there's no real particular taste that just jumps out like some cigars uh, have a super spicy or peppery taste to them but this one does not after I got lit it here and it's called toasting the foot (laughs) after I did that it smells like uh, cedar wood like if you had a little bit of a cedar stave and lit it or if you had some green cedar that you were burning around a campfire and got a just a very subtle not strong at all whiff of that that's what it tastes like and that's also what it smells like it's got a really nice smell to it as it goes on it changes a little bit but not a lot kind of kind of toasty fresh wood smell it doesn't have any of that kind of barnyard smell to it that some cigars have got and i don't i don't mean animal side of the barnyard but i mean you know uh, kind of the musty side of the barnyard it doesn't have any of that at least it doesn't to me well there you go that's the cigar you're probably wondering what bourbon i'm having with this 
Well, don't be disappointed. I'm not having a bourbon today with this. I'm drinking coffee. It is, um, it's a, a weekend when I'm recording this. And uh, later in the day, I've got family coming over and we're all going to sit around and probably have another cigar and then probably enjoy some bourbon then. So I didn't want to get way too ahead of the game, you know. <laughs> I'm a bit of a lightweight. Like I've said before, you know, one bourbon, maybe two over a three or four hour period. That's about as far as I can go before I start feeling my transmission slipping into neutral. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Romeo and Julieta, a nice, a nice cigar. Thanks for joining in today on part two of this six-part series called That's Gonna Leave a Mark. <laughs> oh, it's really about our relationship with pain. Pain. And when I mentioned the title of this series a few weeks back to some friends that I was uh, and telling them that I was getting ready to do this series while I was working on it and uh, came up with the title way back then about our relationship with pain, I got a couple of raised eyebrows. What do you mean a relationship with pain? <laughs> it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm sticking with that title. I'm sticking with it. I hope it works for you because, you know, um, pain isn't really going to go away. It's a part of our life. It's always been a part of our life. It's going to be a part of our life until the day we die. And pain in and of itself is a thing. And so I'm not saying that it is a bad thing or it is a good thing. It is just a pain. And just like any relationship, if I ignore it, it may get a little obnoxious. Since it's not going away, since it's part of my life every day and everywhere I go, pain is telling me something. So like any relationship, it's going to be around a long time and it will probably change and I can probably invest in it in a way that makes it richer and better or I can ignore it and it will become obnoxious. But it's not going away. So right out of the gate, whenever you and I experience pain of any sort, stubbing a toe to a broken heart, we want to remember that pain is telling us something. What's it telling us? It's hard to see what it's telling us if we fall into the traps that we could easily fall into. And that's what you and I spoke about last time when we mentioned that you and I, if we want to be resilient people in the face of complex life in a complex world where we do experience pain, sometimes deep and long and protracted, sometimes just a disappointment that goes away or sometimes a mild stub of the toe or a missed parking lot or a late meeting. We want to be able to avoid three traps so that when those pains occur, we want to be able to avoid these three traps. The trap number one, as we mentioned last time, I won't go into them in great depth, was personalization. Thanks to Martin Seligman for this model. That is, it's all my fault. Of course we want to own up to what our part is, but it's a trap for us to say if we had been perfect, if we had performed perfectly, if we had done everything exactly right, that somehow magically the pain of life would not occur. So personalization is a trap. We avoid it by owning up to what our part is, but realizing that it is only part of it. The second trap was the pervasiveness trap. That means that if this is painful over here or challenging in some way, that everything around it is and everything in my life eventually is. It's the Eeyore mindset. And then the third trap we want to avoid is permanence. That is that if it's disappointing and painful and difficult right now, that it will always be that way. So personalization, pervasiveness, and permanence are the three traps we want to avoid. Now, that was what we talked about last time. So let's get to today. Today is the second in the series, and today we're talking about fear as its own kind of pain. And it may seem just a little odd to you that in a series on pain and our relationship with pain, that I would mention fear 
as one of the great sources of our pain. Fear is not pain. In fact, you might even be the kind of person who says, well, I, I really don't, I don't have fear. <laughs> I don't experience it. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid at all. I've just lived my life. Well, that might actually be true. You may be a person who at this stage of your life does not experience much fear. Guaranteed, the person to your right and to your left that you care about does, however. We all experience at some point in time fear, and some of us go through deep periods of fear and protracted fear. Let me help you just a little bit by getting your mind around what I mean by fear. There's actually, as you've listened to a few of the other podcasts we've had over the years, a different word we use for fear, and this might bring it home a little bit more to you. The word we use for fear now is stress. Stress is, however, actually just fear. It's a fear response that is so sophisticated and so fast and sometimes so protracted and sometimes without an apparent cause or source for the fear or trigger for the fear that we a while back decided to start calling that kind of fear something else. Let's just call it stress. So stress is fear. If we remember that, and if we listen very carefully to whenever we notice stress or feel stress, and simply replace the word stress with the word fear, we're going to be able to manage stress much, much better. Because we can learn how to manage fear, but no one has really learned how to manage stress apart from understanding that it is actually fear. And we want to be able to learn a new response to fear. In fact, that's what I'm going to be talking with you about over the next few minutes. Once we realize that fear in and of itself has pain associated with it or is its own kind of pain, and we learn that we can learn a new response to that fear if we see it for what it is, then we're going to be able to manage that fear. And in fact, it may work for us when we do. And then the relationship we will have with this particular kind of pain, fear, will not be an obnoxious and destructive relationship. All right, so let's dive in. So now that we know that stress is fear, and that fear can be its own kind of pain, its own particular unique kind of pain, there are four things I'd like to share with you. Here's the first one. If you and I are going to have a good relationship with fear, <laughs> nobody's ever said that before to you, right? Nobody's ever thought that before, maybe out loud in polite company. But we can have a good relationship with the particular kind of pain that is fear. We have to be able to learn to notice fear physically. Whenever you or I become afraid, it shows up in our body first. It doesn't show up in our conscious thought with words or images or plans or strategies. It shows up in our body first. You may be the kind of person who is a finely tuned like a Ferrari, so you'll notice every little thing going on about your body. You'll notice when you're slightly thirsty or slightly hungry or when your sleep is just a little bit off or your belt is just a little bit loose or you'll notice all that stuff and so you're finely in tune and in touch with your body. Most people I know are not like that. Most folks just kind of go around doing their day and doing their life and not really paying that much attention to what's going on physically. So right out of the gate, you and I want to be able to notice fear physically first. It will show up in our bodies. The last time you felt fear or stressed or nervous or anxious or irritable or whatever the word you want to use to put in its place, we're simply going to use the word fear here to replace the word stress and all the other ones that you use. The first thing that happened was you noticed something 
physical. You, what do you notice? Let me ask you that question. When you start to feel what you used to call stress, now that you're going to call fear, what do you notice physically? What is going on with you? Do your, your fists clench? Do you notice a tightness in your chest? Do you notice a weight in your chest? Do you notice a little queasy feeling in your stomach? Do you notice the butterflies in your stomach, that little unsettled? Do you notice that your muscles get a little bit tight or maybe your jaw gets tight? Do you notice something physical? Now, this is the very first place that fear is going to show up. And when left unattended, that type of fear response in our body will turn into actual physical pain. Many times when someone is complaining of a pain that they have in their body, it is as a result of ignored fear responses. And they're walking around as tense as a surfboard, as tightly strung as a piano wire. They go to sleep that way. They wake up that way. They're tired of that. And so they pound a bunch of Jack Daniels and Coke. And that helps for a minute. But then they wake up the next day and they feel the same thing. They've been stressed. They've been anxious. They've been frustrated. And their body is screaming at them, but they're ignoring their body. And so they get physically sore. They might even have pains here and there in their body. And now if you're paying attention to your body, you'll notice that the physical pain, not always, but often the physical pain that you and I will experience in our body is as a result of us being afraid and having a physical response to that fear and then ignoring it for a long period of time. You know what's really interesting to me? I will often have a conversation with somebody when they're faced with a fear-inducing decision or a decision was taken out of their control. And I will regularly ask, how do you feel about that? Here's a common response. I feel angry or I feel frustrated or I feel irritated. And I listen and I understand and they're describing something. And then I say, yes, but how do you feel physically right now as you're thinking about that event or decision there's almost always an awkward pause like you mean i feel something physical with regard to this and i have to walk people through this almost all the time co-workers friends people part of my enterprises or folks that i get to support and help outside of our enterprises alike young and old alike i find that they have a very difficult time pointing to what they feel physically. If you and I are going to get very good at managing fear or what you used to call stress and the pain that goes with that management, we have to get a little bit better at noticing what happens in our body first. You may want to hit the pause button on this podcast right now. Just imagine if you were sitting across from me, I would ask you when was the last time you were stressed because you may not call it fear. And when was the last time? And then you would remember it and your body would, even as you recount it to me, your body would start to feel something. And I'd say, well, what are you feeling right now in your body? And you might have a hard time describing it. Well, if you practice this a couple of times, the next time you feel stress slash fear, then if you start noticing what's going on in your body, this is going to be an extremely valuable step for you if you want to manage this particular kind of pain called fear. What's going on in your body? So if you pause right now and think, if you're under stress, if you are afraid, what are you feeling in your body? And if you did that, and now you're back to the podcast and you're identifying what you felt in your body, maybe it was something like you were a little sick to your stomach. Um, for me, I notice it as a weight right in the middle of my chest. 
And then I notice that my breath gets a little more shallow. Instead of a calm breathing, I, I tend to breathe like a gerbil. <laughs> I'll notice that my jaw starts to tighten. And I will notice that the muscles in my hand, my, my grip starts to tighten a little bit. I'm not quite in a fist mode, but getting pretty close to it. It is as though I'm getting ready to get punched. But I notice it first in my chest and then down into my stomach. And sometimes I'll notice it the other way around. Sometimes it'll be a little shot of adrenaline in my stomach. I feel a little queasy and then it'll creep up into tightness in my chest. And then it'll creep up into my shoulders and up into my neck. And I find myself tight. And then when that starts to happen and it stays with me for a while, there may actually be physical pain associated with that. So literally, step one, if you and I want to manage fear as its own kind of pain so that it becomes our friend instead of an obnoxious enemy, we want to notice what's going on in our body physically. It really is as simple as that. Of course, the only challenging part of this is that it happens extremely quickly. The other day, someone mentioned something to me in passing in a conversation that was almost a throwaway comment and then turned and walked out of my office. In fact, I can't even recall what it was, but wow, can I recall the feeling that happened. Within one to two seconds, I felt all that stuff that I just described to you. And that led me to think, oh, wait, wait, that is fear. It is a fear response. Do not ignore it. When it happens in your body, do not ignore it. Do not try to talk yourself out of it. Well, I'm a macho grown ass man with a beard that people talk about. I should be able to not have any fear. I'm 64 freaking years old. I don't get scared. Well, don't talk like that because obviously I was afraid. <laughs> it was clear I was afraid. And I didn't try to talk myself out of feeling afraid, you know? You, you shouldn't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, I was afraid. And it was fast and it was instant and it grabbed me very, very quickly. So I don't talk myself out of it when I feel it. It is as simple as that. When my body reacts like that, or however you know that your body reacts, it is because I am afraid. <sighs> Take a deep breath. When I notice it physically, the first thing I do is say, oh, oh, I'm afraid. And I'll sit there with that feeling for 10, 15 seconds. And then I'll ask myself a question. What am I afraid of? And I'll answer that question. And then I ask the question, have I ever been afraid of this or something like this before? The answer is yes. Now lean in and listen carefully here. If you're getting distracted and you're doing dishes or you're reading or you're driving or you're working out and something has got part of your attention, this is an incredibly important part of the podcast. It might be the most important part of the podcast. So you ready? You ready? Take a deep breath. Lean in. Have I been afraid like this before? Yes. The fear is learned. I learned this fear a long time ago. Now, maybe it was a year ago or 10 years ago, or maybe it was when I was 11, but I learned to be afraid of this thing a long time ago. All right, so you with me so far? That's point number one. We will notice our fear, which we used to call stress. We will notice it physically before we consciously think about it. So you and I want to be able to learn to notice what's going on physically. And then to pause, stay with it for a half a second and not try to justify the feeling away or to rinse it away with some wonderful bourbon. Don't do that. Sit with it for a moment and ask, what am I afraid of? This is clearly fear. 
what am I afraid of? No matter how sophisticated you are, no matter how large your bank account is, no matter how many degrees you've got after your name or how many people that surround you right now that applaud you and love you and adore you, no matter how fast your car or how sleek your airplane, it doesn't matter. Your body is telling you, oh, look out, look out, look out, look out. Be afraid. All right. Have I been afraid like this before? What am I afraid of? Because I learned to be afraid of this back in the day. There we have it. That's point number one. Notice it physically. Here's point number two. When I am looking at this thing, I have a threat reward brain. Our brain, like I've mentioned before, and like you've read about before, is set up to perceive everything around us as either a threat or a reward, or we don't pay any attention to it. And if we think of something as a threat, then we will go into that fear mode quickly. Now that threat response, that threat appraisal even, is actually a learned response. What I think of as a threat to me, you would not think of as a threat to you, and the reverse. You and I could be sitting here right now enjoying a cup of coffee and a wonderful cigar with our feet up and talking about things that are going on in our lives and around us and opportunities that we've got, and you may have a threat response to something that to me I would think of as an opportunity. That's because I learned something differently than you did. The thing that faces me that's a opportunity may be a threat to you or perceived as a threat to you. It's a learned response. So I want to know how I learned it and when did I learn that response? Here's the beauty. If you and I learned that response, oh, that's a threat. Oh, I'm afraid. If we learned that response back in the day, we can unlearn that response. It is amazing how that works. And that's what we're talking about today. If I'm afraid, it's because I think of something as a threat. I feel it physically. It means I'm afraid. I think it's a threat. What is the threat? Is the threat real or is it in my imagination? Am I making it up in my mind? Now, our body can't, in the beginning, can't tell the difference between an imagined threat and an actual threat and nor should it. We should be able to respond full on with full force to something that is a potential threat. We don't want to take the time to evaluate whether it's a real threat if we're out walking around the woods and we hear a rustling in the, in the trees or in the bushes behind us. I don't want to take the time to study how healthy that bear is that's coming toward me and can I outrun it? <laughs> you know, I just, I, just, I just want to deal with that threat right away. That's how we're, that's how we're designed. So here it is. There are, there are questions that we're asking about the threat, and we, it's very important we consciously ask these questions. Now that I realize, oh, that feeling is fear. Oh, what am I afraid of? When did I learn that? What is the threat? That's question number one. Question number two, is this a real threat, an actual threat, or is it a threat in my imagination? And there is a difference, even though our body cannot tell the difference. The next question I want to ask myself about that threat is, is it a now threat? you know, in the next couple of minutes? Or is it a later threat? Tomorrow, next week, next year. If it's a later threat, we want to find out, is this a what-if threat? Or an if-then threat? Or an if-only threat? If it's a what-if threat, it's a future threat. It's a threat about later. I'm feeling threatened if something happens tomorrow. What if this? What if that? What if this? You get it? I'm not threatened right now. It's tomorrow. If it's an if-then threat, if this happens, then this is going to happen. If this happens, then that's going to happen. That's also a later threat. Or is it one of those if-only? That's probably 
a past tense threat. That's a threat that I'm worried about something that happened in the past that may turn into something later. Is it a what-if threat, an if-then threat, or an if-only threat? Now, the reason we're walking this through, and you may want to take notes and write this down, is because we're trying to balance out the neurology in our brain. We're trying to get in gear with our thinking brain instead of just following along our limbic system and responding to the fear, just galloping away from it in some way. So what's the threat? Is it real? Is it in my imagination? Is it a now or a later threat? And here's the last one. In fact, this one may be pause worthy right here. Is this a control threat? or a criticism threat. Is this a threat where I feel like things are out of my control and I can do nothing about it and it's all going to be done to me? There's nothing I can do. Or is this a criticism threat? If this thing goes sideways and I fail or it hurts, is it the kind of thing where the people I care about and the people that I love uh, whose opinion matter to me are going to ostracize me or think less of me in some way? So the first thing was notice it physically. And the second idea was if I'm afraid, it's because I think it's a threat. What kind of threat is it? Control or criticism threat. So here's my third big point. What do I do when I'm afraid of things in general or things like this? This is now the moment, now that I realize what I think that threat is, and this might have only taken a minute to get this far, even though it's taken us 15 or 20 minutes to get this far in the conversation, it might have only taken you a minute or two. This part, we slow down and answer the question, what do I do when I'm afraid of this kind of thing? Study yourself, because remember what I said earlier, our fear response is a learned response in almost every case. So study yourself. What do you do when you're afraid of something like this? What have I done before? What has been my habit that I have built to try to deal with this kind of fear? Do you take the Scarlet O'Hare approach <laughs> from Gone with the Wind? Not today, not today. I don't want to think about it today. So you occupy yourself so that you, you ignore the physical indications that you are in terror and you just busy yourself with things so that hopefully the fear will just pass you by. <laughs> what do you do? Think about that. You may want to pause here and study that if you're in the middle of some kind of fear. And as you learn what you do, you'll notice that there are two different tracks down which we could go to deal with this fear. One of them we call an adaptive track. That is when I'm faced with this fear and I realize what I'm afraid of and I faced it before, then I want to do something that helps me adapt to that kind of fear, whether it's a control fear or a criticism fear, whether it's a now fear or a later fear, whether it's real or it's in my imagination, I want to be able to adapt to it. As I adapt to it, the next time it happens, I will have less fear. I will, in effect, be reconditioned. And the next time it happened, less fear and conditioned more to deal with it, almost like lifting weights in a gym. Then I will become slightly more resilient. Then when those fears happen, I will not have them debilitate me. I will actually be able to grow. I'll have more courage in the face of those kinds of fears and of ancillary fears that are related to it. That's called an adaptive approach to fear. That's what I'm going to be showing you in our coming episodes. There's also a maladaptive approach to fear. This is by far the most common, and I am quite practiced at this. <laughs> Sometimes I do the maladaptive approach, and I, I have a way of dealing with fear that makes me have more fear. That is, the next time something even remotely related to the thing that I see as a threat occurs, I respond to it more quickly and with a greater physical and psychological response to that fear. I have a faster response to it. I become, in, in, in the language of post-traumatic stress 
disorder or syndrome psychology, I become hyper vigilant, which means that now I'm not just afraid of that thing or of the things that are like it, but I'm afraid all the time. All the time. That's called a maladaptive approach to fear. You and I don't want to have that approach to fear. We want to have an adaptive approach to fear. And so un until I learned the things that I'm trying to share with you here, most of my approach to fear was a maladaptive approach. So that's the third idea. Remember the first one is notice it physically. The second one, it's a threat. What do I think of as the threat? And then the third point I want to share with you today is to study yourself and find out what do you do when you're afraid like this? Because you do something to try to cope with that fear. And it's likely a maladaptive track down which you run. Meaning you adapt to the fear, but you just make it worse by doing what you do. And this, of course, takes us to our fourth idea in this conversation. And I think of this as a conversation because I'm hoping you pause this and talk back to me. <laughs> I'm hoping that you imagine you and I are talking back and forth here and you say, well, what about this and what about that? And you rewind and listen to it again or you share it with other people and argue about some of the ideas and then eventually make them your own and adapt them so that they become your own. So in this conversation, this is the fourth point. Now that I know what it feels like physically. Now that I've identified what it is I'm afraid of, what is the actual threat? Is it a control threat or a criticism threat? And what time zone does it live in? Is it a right now or an in the future kind of threat? And now that I've studied myself just a little bit to figure out what do I usually do? How do I try to cope with the feelings of this fear? What do I do? And is it working very well? Is it adaptive so I'm less afraid? And so I'm more courageous or is it maladaptive? So I become more and more vigilant and more and more afraid. Which one is it? And if it's maladaptive, which is true of most of us until we've learned this art that I'm suggesting you, we ask ourselves this question. Are you ready? Are you ready? What would I do if I were not afraid? Imagine what you would do if you were not afraid. If you're doing that with me right now, you're feeling a sense physically, back to your body, a little sense of freedom. It might only last for five seconds, but you're feeling a little bit of a sense of freedom that's going on in your body. What you're feeling is a, a lightening of the load in your body. Maybe those muscles are relaxing just a little bit. Maybe that pain in the back of your head is easing up just a moment as you ponder, if I were not afraid, what would I do? And go with it live with that. Live in the imagination for a minute. What would you do if you were not afraid? You don't have to see the entire picture. You don't have to see the entire plan. You don't have to zoom out and see everything that needs to be done, which in and of itself can make you more afraid. <laughs> but in the end, what would I do? What would I be in this situation if I were not afraid? Well, then here we go. Take the next step. Do that right now. Literally, right now. Perhaps for you, it's in six minutes when this podcast is over. What is that very first step you could take? You know what you would do if you were not afraid. You'd have that conversation. You'd tell somebody what you actually thought. You would do something different with your time, with your money, with your passion, with your energy, with your relationships, with your creativity, something. You know what you would do if you were not afraid. So go ahead. Don't do it all. That's too big. But take the very first small step. And when? Now, maybe you should stop the podcast right here and take that step. <laughs> take that step now. Then, after you've taken that step, the grip that fear has on you begins to shrink. It took some courage to make a phone call. It took some courage to put something on your calendar, to send an email to somebody and say, can we talk tomorrow at three? It took some courage to open up that, I don't know, 
to open up your checking account and look at how much money you've got. It took some courage to actually tell somebody what you think. It's a small step, but it took some courage. And in doing that, it is amazing the freedom from that fear that you and I get to have. Then, as you take that step, you may re-trigger your fear. <laughs> oh no, it's back. You may hear the bear of the situation growling at you again. You might be right back where you were, but now you know what to do. Now you know what to do. What would I do if I were not afraid? Now that you know what you're afraid of, what would I do if I were not afraid? And you repeat the sequence. What's going on in my body? Oh, that's fear. Oh, what am I afraid of? Well, what do I usually do when I'm afraid? Is it adaptive? Does it make it better? Am I stronger? Or does it make it worse? Do I maladapt to that thing? And then do that new thing. That new thing is, is a very, very small step toward the picture you have in your mind of what you would do if you were not afraid. And so hopefully by now, toward the end of this conversation, you can see that fear can actually induce physical pain. And ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> we don't want to feel that. And so what we do is rush past it or ignore it or power our way through it without embracing it and realizing that it's here to teach me something. So if you're feeling the physical discomfort that comes from fear, understand it is actually your friend. It's giving you an opportunity to turn and look at the thing you're afraid of straight on in the face and look at how you've responded to that fear in the past and imagine yourself doing something if you were not afraid about that situation and then taking the very first small step right here, right now, toward dealing with that fear. If that is your habit, you will build in yourself this amazing resilience in the face of fear. Because we're always going to have things that cause fear. They will change over time and hopefully we'll not become the kind of people that become more and more and more fearful and hyper-vigilant in the face of challenge and stress and fear. Instead, we will become people who are more and more resilient, slightly more courageous next week than we were this week, and slightly more engaged loving slightly more, taking slightly bigger risks, <laughs> and actually making a difference. Wow. So I think this was probably a much longer podcast than what you and I usually have together, but you knew it was going to be a long podcast when I told you at the beginning that I had a Romeo and Julieta Churchill-sized cigar seven inches long. That's a two-hour cigar, and I'm only an inch and a half into this thing. And here, you and I have been yammering on for all this time. Wow. Well, there we go. That's the second in a series of your relationship with pain, specifically fear. Fear is its own kind of pain. Ah, that's going to leave a mark. Next time we're together, we're going to talk about how to take the long view, how to set yourself up so that your habit is to cope adaptively instead of maladaptively. We'll talk about very common ways you and I adapt ourselves to fear and stress and challenge in an unhealthy way, which we've come to call maladaptive coping. We're going to talk about worry. Ooh, we may talk about other things that are maladaptive criticism, being judgmental of other people, wounding other people in my fear, blowing through tons of money in hope that buying things or shopping for things, whether they're whole buildings <laughs> or airplanes or whether it's just some new thing on Amazon, buying stuff that makes us feel better. <laughs> Maladaptive coping. It doesn't actually work. doesn't make us more courageous. doesn't make us less selfish. It sets us up to have more fear 
and more pain. How do we do that? Let's learn how to be adaptive when we face pain in our life. And we'll show you some of that stuff when we're together next time. Thanks for taking a little bit of time. And I hope you paused many times throughout this podcast and thought a little bit about what I'm sharing with you. You know what? I really genuinely wish you were here in this podcast booth with me. I would sit down now and we'd put our feet up. I actually would pull out a bottle of bourbon and I'd share it with you or something like that (laughs) so we could have some good time learning from each other. And by the way, much of what I've talked about here, I learned from folks like you, maybe even you, very specific. But you know what I'm going to do? I am going to enjoy the rest or as much of the rest of this cigar as time allows. And in just, let me see here, I'm looking at the clock over in the distance, probably in about an hour, my family is going to come over to my house and join me over there. So I probably should, I probably should get my act together and head up the hill to my house. And I'm sure you've heard about it by now, but you may want to check out our YouTube channel that has this kind of information, lots of helpful tips for folks who are in leadership, management, supervisory positions, or if you're an influencer of people daring folks to do great things. Check us out on YouTube. It's the Hilt, H-I-L-T, Academy, High Impact Leadership Training Academy on YouTube. Some great stuff. Join us over there. Subscribe when you get there, and that'll let us know you like that stuff. Anyway, have a great day. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.